Well, I mean, I think that is a good place to start. And, and if you're good to go, um, we'll probably... I'm good to go. Yeah, we'll go live then. Um, I think... Give me a second. That is a good place to start because a lot of people have been challenged by this. And, you know, maybe you talked about this already and so you're sick of talking about it, but what do you think? How have you personally adapted you and your business? And how do you think, because Orphic being a company that trains trainers, personal trainers develops them, teaches them to become personal trainers, what, how do you think they can adapt? What do you think they can take from this in this adverse time with everything closed and everything? What can they learn that you've learned? So what's what's the main question? Just so I can like, how can who adapt? Online like coaches, online coaches, coaches in general. Who? The new personal trainer, the personal trainer just getting into the industry. Yeah, and this is interesting. I'm going to try uh, recording this as well on our on our Instagram live because you ask an interesting question now. I can't speak to personal training as a whole because I'm, you know, I'm more on strength and conditioning. But we can talk about anybody, them too, right? I, I would say how anybody should adapt. I mean, I don't think we need to recreate the wheel. People now like need to adapt by having stuff that they can do live in the flesh, like always, and online. And I think people have to get over their fear of being online. I know I never wanted to do it. Boo hoo! You know, I just wanted to coach in the trenches, this and that tough shit life doesn't really care what you like it what it's what you can adapt to so you do things however you like I, there's just way too many people being perfectionistic about what to do how should i do it what's the right book to read like just mm. jump in mm. you know what i mean people survived and thrived for millennia without like really you know having a a, a one-page pdf of how to do everything perfectly or powerpoint slides that walk them through everything I just think people have to start getting to work and figuring out creative solutions. I mean, we talked about it. We're creating a new online course called Blind Spot, and the whole idea behind it is everybody's got blind spots, right? Like there are things that keep us back uh, and, and hold us back. Almost everything that has worked really well for me in the past five years is shit that I never wanted to do. I never wanted to have a podcast. I never wanted to have online courses. I never wanted to have a newsletter. I never wanted to have any of that stuff. And now all that stuff crushes for us. And it's because you just learn to put skin in the game at different levels and you start to get fired up competing against yourself. And most importantly, why would you want to be a victim to circumstance? That's what I don't understand about strength coaches and their mentality a lot of times or trainers is they, they just like hope they get the magic job and they say, oh, I don't do it for the money or hey, it's, it's just this and that. And it's like, all right, well, the more you isolate your ideas, the more you isolate yourself, the more you're you're posing to be a victim of circumstance. And I just have no desire to do that. So that's why I think that's how I think most people should be adapting right now. Whether they're people watching your live, our Instagram, anything like that, they have to quit overthinking shit and just get busy figuring it out. So it's a complete mentality shift from victim to victor to action from inaction. Yeah, our field is yeah, exactly. Our field is so far behind. I always find it humorous now when strength coaches or anybody in, in the profession is like, oh, we're ever evolving, you know, the body, like we are not, like it's funny for a field as obsessed with adapting as uh, like adaptations, we're awful at adapting. Mm. Medicine has gone to telehealth, right? Like every single, every single profession out there has embraced other avenues. Strength coaches and trainers just wanna, they either say, oh, I wanna stay in the online space only, or I just wanna be in the live space only. Like you can't specialize like that. Like you're, you're, 
you need to be a, an expert at generalist at these things and you need to be uh you need to develop a wide range of skill sets if you want to be able to survive now bottom well, line a lot of a lot of coaches coming in the industry even a couple of years in they feel like they have to niche out and specialize because they need a point of difference do you think that's like a like a scapegoat that we psychologically comfort ourselves with? or I, I think people think they need to niche out because that's what somebody on YouTube told them to do and this and that. And I think it's okay to niche at a certain point in your career, but that's not what you should be doing at the beginning. At the beginning, you should be learning the trade, doubling down on doing really fucking good work yeah. and making sure that you handle your business, right? Like the first 10 years as a strength coach, I wasn't sitting here worried about niching out. I was worried about coaching the shit out of every athlete I could I could care less if it was youth, high school, pro, college. I mean, it's great. I've been fortunate to train easily more than 500 pro athletes, but I never once looked at training youth or high school kids as, you know, less than. I love that. I mean, great. I, listen, it's way harder to teach, teach kids than it is pro athletes. The, the, the fun part about training pro athletes is the politics and the Machiavellianism and the egos and the attitudes. That's a bigger people challenge. But if you really want to hone your skills coaching the technique and technical side of things, you need to be working with kids. You know, you need to be working with grandmas and grandpas. Like the best job I had in this field starting out, I coached surgeons at 6 a.m. I coached their like wives or significant others at 7 a.m. I trained wounded warriors, uh, you know, earlier or later in the morning. Then I'd work with college athletes and pro athletes, then military again than youth in high school in the afternoon. Um, so I just think all you know, all these people that talk about niches, 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 that's fine at some point. We talk about it in our online course, Value. There's three distinct stages of a career people need to think about. The first stage is execute. Just focus on the task at hand. Get good at the skill. The next part is expand. This is after you've been in the field five, 10 years, things like that. You want to start looking at other avenues. You're not just obsessed with sets and reps anymore. You understand that your day's not well spent just looking over 32 variations of a squat or a push-up or building, you know, infographics on 52 ways to deadlift, right? You're trying to solve more complex shit. And then the later stages of your career, and that might be 15 years on, 20 years on, whatever for people, is all about evolving. You know, that's when you should start looking at, all right, what can I do not just as a coach, a technician, all those things, but entrepreneurially? How do you set your life up so you can continue to expand and scale the lessons you've learned and help more people? But, you know, we have this field now that just thinks that, like, they just think way too small. I've got to get this job. I've got to work with this population. I've got to do this. They think so small, and then they think somebody's going to come save them. Nobody's coming to save you. Yep. Nobody's coming to save you, not a, not the NSCA, ASCA, UKSCA, you know, whatever SCA, whatever credential, this whole idea of, oh, certifications, let me just get every certification I can and I'll be good enough. Like at the end of the day, you've got to learn other skill sets. What are you learning about business? What are you learning about communication? What are you learning about psychology? Not on in Instagram, not on books, but actually learning this shit in real time. What, that makes me think. What do you think the biggest pieces of education were for you that that shifted you? Was it was it more tertiary education, university? Was it more the the hands-on certificates, or was it more the hands-on experience? Where do you partition out and think taking about risk, taking risk, taking risks, and like there's so many different things. Let's look at different things, right? So of course I learned through books, but I don't read a book a week. 
I take really detailed notes. Like now there's, I purposely made it a goal to only read five books this year. I used to get really caught up on the book a week, book a month, all this shit. And what happens is, well, just like you just read and read and read and you never do anything with it. So now I only want to read five books this year. I go super in depth. Now I'm also getting my doctorate, right? So I'm reading plenty of research, but here's the real thing that most people don't understand. You learn by doing and creating. So great. Let's say I read 32 research articles from now until November. Well, I'm not really learning if I'm not doing shit with that research, right? And then if all you're doing is researching the same stuff in the same area all the time, then then how are you challenging that? So again, it goes back to what I said, expert generalist. You should be going to workshops outside of your space, workshops in your space. You should be coaching diverse populations. You should be having conversations with interesting people. You should be putting yourself out in the world. Look at Da Vinci. That's the ultimate yeah. inspiration for yeah, me. Absolutely. Leonardo Da Vinci didn't become the one of the world's greatest artists just by obsessing about painting, mm-hmm. right? He learned about astronomy, anatomy, physiology. Uh, he'd watch people in the courtyard talk and communicate. And when they smiled, he'd see how the shadow from the, uh, you know, from where the sun wasn't hitting at noon, you know, hit their face so that when he drew people or painted in his paintings, he knew shading. He knew all this. He paid attention to so many things. And now our, our field does none of that. They're like, oh my God, what periodization scheme works the best? Well, what shin angle is better there? Well, I heard on somebody's Instagram account that this shin angle is better. And you know what? Half of them just revel in this shit because they're scared. They're scared to be told that there's not one right answer because our field so desperately wants there to be one right answer. Nobody, nobody is taught how to think. They're all just taught what to think. They'd love for you to tell them four by eight is the song. Like that's all they got to do or five by three yeah. or five by three utilizing wave loading with two sets being chains, one set being bands and one set being that like people desperately want there to be one answer. And it's like, no, you have to learn. It's like I said in my Instagram post today, if you don't love chaos and complexity, get out of this field. If you need to be taught what to think, get out of the field. If you need to have everybody's notes from every, uh, every presentation and you need to know the one way to do everything, get out of this field. We do not need myrmidons. We need people that are willing to put risks out there. And I want to make a comment. It was so well said, but I want to make a comment about the Leonardo da Vinci, an ultimate polymath, right? He understood to look laterally in other fields. And I think yeah. what's the difference about a, a coach like you, a, a consultant like you, is that you are trying to look laterally in other fields as well and see the correlations and commonalities. What have you seen in your experience so far, the commonalities looking laterally in other fields to the strength and conditioning? Yeah, I mean, so last year I spent a significant amount of money going to field, like uh, workshops outside of our field, whether it's psychology, even marketing, things like that. And what I found is it's much more diverse. There's so many people from other professions going to these events. Uh, but oddly enough, none of them were from strength and conditioning or science-based fields like that, right? They were like science-based fields in health or human performance. A lot of them own their own businesses. We had dentists, dentists doctors, lawyers. We had people in Silicon Valley. We had people in all these other places and fields, but there was no cross-pollination of strength coaches or anybody else. And it was really interesting because you look at strength coaches or fitness professionals, they all go to strength coach and fitness professional workshops, but they very rarely go to any other kind of workshop. And that's why when we started our Art of Coaching Apprenticeship, which is our two-day workshop, 
we don't, it is no way, shape or form marketed to strength coaches. It is marketed to leaders, period, because it's all about communication, behavior change, psychology, adapting under constraints. Right now, we've had 30, uh, we've had people from 30 different countries and 20 different professions come. And that cross-pollination of communication helps everybody grow. Hmm. And again, think how laughable it is. We tell athletes and people, oh, you shouldn't play one sport. Oh, you shouldn't only do one form of exercise. Hmm. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Yet we always do one form of education. And somebody's watching this right now and they're like, that's not true. I, I listen to podcasts. I read books. I do this. I'm like, great, dude. Are you going to workshops and getting evaluated on your communication? Something tells me you can memorize the FMS. Something tells me you can memorize Prilipin's chart. But who's evaluating you in communication? Right. And at our workshops, that's what we're doing. We have a seven point scale where we look at nonverbal, paraverbal, verbal. We look at all these other ideas, all these other things that are validated by the research. And we break people down to the core of their communication styles, tendencies, mistakes. And we videotape it. And you know what? Nobody's scared to fail. Everybody gets over themselves. You might get analyzed by an FBI agent, which we really had one at our workshop in Alabama. Another strength coach might get analyzed by somebody in HR and vice versa. And so you see this cross-pollination of ideas that you really don't see in our field. Everybody just stays in their little niche. And then they argue on Instagram and Twitter about what's the right way to do speed mechanics. Okay. So that's the answer. Look laterally in other fields, apply from all different fields and don't go too far down the rabbit hole because you can miss a lot of that. You, you, you lose a lot of that peripheral vision. And put skin in the game. You right. can't sit on the sidelines. You know how many times I hear excuses of people being like, oh, I, ha- I want to do this, but I don't have the time and the money. Who does? Like, you know, right now going through what we're all going through, who does? Like, I sold, this isn't like, a, oh, I walked uphill in the snow. But like, when I was a grad assistant, I made $10,000 a year. But you know what, if I looked at it, if I can't take $800 and go to this one course that there was in St. Louis, Missouri, to learn from some of the top in the field, then what was I going to spend that money on? You're going to spend that money anyway. And then what's funny is people are like, oh, I want to be the best. I want to be better, but I don't have the time and the money. So let me get this straight. You want to be great, but you don't want to sacrifice scarce resources. Well, great. Neither does 99% of the population. So if you don't want to be like the other 99% of the population, it's going to be really uncomfortable, but you're going to have to invest in stuff other than just books and podcasts, yep. you know? And plus, man, we live in a day and age where so much of the information out there is free. So when people say they don't have the money, I'm like, literally, you can download 99% of what's out there for free these days. So if you can't pay for the 1% of stuff out there that isn't free, I think you're full of shit saying you want to be the best. Like the best doctor does not get to choose to not go to med school. The guy that wants to be the best lawyer or girl doesn't just get to choose to not pay for law school. Yet, you know what I mean? Where like in our field, generally you have to pay for a certification and yeah, you got to pay for college, but we're really pretty lucky. We don't have to pay for law school, med school, this and that. So I don't really just, I don't really get the entitlement in our field of the woe is me bullshit. We're really pretty lucky. I think that people need to get called out like that. So that that type of voice that you, and the, the way you're speaking about it is appreciated. Um, and I think a lot of people lie to themselves. They lie to themselves about who they are and the skills they have. And it's for you, you, you how do we become the best, the most effective communicators, right? But a lot of people lie to themselves about 
the the skills they have in regards to communications and they're quite the full of shit, right? Where do you think people like the most common like lies people tell themselves about? Oh, I hear I hear them all the time, bro. The most common lies with communication is yeah. I don't need to work on it. I do it every day, right? And there are people that think just because they're coaching every day that they're good at they're practicing communication. Imagine our athletes being like, yeah, I don't need to go to practice because I play I play the sport, I play the game, right? I go out and play the game. So I don't need to practice, right? Imagine a boxer being like, yeah, I don't need to work on anything else because, you know, I, uh, I shadow box or I do this. Like, imagine if you're a husband or a wife saying, yeah, I don't need to work on being a better spouse because I wake up every day married. What are you talking about? Like, pick up a history book. Empires have fallen because of disagreements. Companies have gone out of business because of disagreements. When you get to the highest level of sport, life, coaching, Everything is about communication. Don't believe me. Don't believe me. Go out and spend one day being a shit awful communicator, right? Give people awful feedback, say derogatory things. Don't give people specific kind of feedback and certain stuff. Be very vague and see the impact it has on people. And so when people say, oh, I'm already good enough at communication, that's laughable because I always say, well, how, do you, how are you practicing it then? Or we hear, well, we do it with our staff. Okay, so let me get this straight. You go into an environment that you're already comfortable with, with people you're already comfortable around, and you practice communication. Even though none of you are trained in the science of communication, what you read a book and that taught you what you need to talk about, you train in stuff by getting outside of your scope and being evaluated by other professionals, right? Like, I don't get sick and I'm like, oh, you know what? My wife and I stay home and WebMD ourselves, and then we learn how to treat ourselves. So that's the biggest lie we're ever told is that the stuff that we do every day, we're already good at. And that's where most people forget in life. They don't realize like, oh, I see, like the hardest shit to master in life is the simplest stuff. That's why everybody sucks at nutrition, sleep, hydration, exercise, relationships, communication, the simplest shit is the secret, but nobody wants to do it. And here's the other thing. Most coaches don't want to be told they're shit communicators, right? If we're told there's more you've got to learn in training, well, we already like training and we're lifelong learners. So I'd love to learn more about training because that interests us. Where if you tell somebody they suck as communicators, they take it so personally. Wait a minute. What do you mean I suck at, I don't suck at communicating. I don't suck. I've done this. It's like, bro, it's okay. You suck at communicating like we all do. I, I mess up in my own workshops. That's the fun of it. Okay. Right? When you are, go ahead. That's what I want to talk about because I think people look at you, Brett, as like you're some powerful, charismatic, like you can go, 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 right? But I don't, let's, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you didn't always used to be like this. Let's go back to kid, Brett, right? How did you transform yourself from th- probably the opposite, I'm, I'm a guess, of who you are now to this? I mean, I, I, there was, I, I can't tell you like an age. I can't be like, hey, it's seven years old. I remember I got over a stutter. Like, <laughs> well, it's a process. You know, like, I started looking at communication and social dynamics more deeply as I talk about in my book in conscious coaching after I was hospitalized. You know what I mean? After I was hospitalized and I saw the way these doctors, nurses, psychiatrists put all these people into this box and they just saw people by their symptoms and their issues and not really for who they were that's when I doubled down on human behavior. I mean, dude, I spent a year of my life in a hospital with other patients 
who had all these underlying issues, yet, you know, they communicated other things. And so that fascinated me in psychology. And so then you look at yourself again, I cover all this in conscious coaching. I had a year of my life to sit and think about how did I get here? What's going on? How do I get out of my head? How do I figure this out? And for all those coaches who are like, how do I find my voice? How do I build buy-in? How do I do this shit? That's how. You literally go deep. In my book, I call it the three stages of internal identification. And I literally wrote that part of the chapter, part of it, while I was in the hospital. You know, I, and, and most people just don't want to do that. Because, again, they just want to be like, ah, I'll watch a YouTube video. Ah, what, I'll get on Joe Rogan's podcast. Ah, I'll do this. People don't want to do that shit. So you got to go to a dark place if you want to figure out those kinds of things. But it, we're taught our entire life to not go to that dark place. I have a line. Uh, I'm writing a new book and I have a line in the book and it says, you know, most of us are taught our entire life to not talk to strangers. No wonder we don't know ourselves very well. And that's just the truth. That's the truth. Because you can get to know yourself through others because others are like we are each other. Is that kind of what that's alluding to? No, it's alluding to the fact that we run from the deeper questions. We don't really know ourselves well. We're a stranger to ourselves because we never ask ourselves the tough questions. We don't put ourselves in challenging scenarios. We're human beings. We seek out self-preservation, self-enhancement. We're risk averse. People remember negative experiences more than they uh, remember positive experiences. The research proves that. So when I say we don't know ourselves well because we've been taught not to talk to strangers, that is my way of saying we are not self-aware. And we're not self-aware because people are so scared of failure they don't put themselves in situations in which they can fail. Yeah. Our field's big. Let me save everybody the drama. Our field's number one issue is not that, ah, uh, there's not a governing body. Ah, uh, there's not a union. Ah, uh, there's not a... Re Our field's number one issue is we're scared to fail. We're insecure. So we don't put ourselves in those positions. So when we market our workshops, we market it as it really is. It's a safe place to fail. Because coaches and trainers right now you name me, tell me, I'd love to be wrong. Where is a place coaches and trainers can go right now to get evaluated on the things I'm talking about where it is actually okay and encouraged for them to fail? Where somebody who is a, a self-labeled introvert or somebody who's not good at communicating can actually go and not have to feel insecure about it because that's what we work on that entire time is that shit and we expect it. And even the people that are great communicators, we have drills and exercises that we do that put them in a position where they will also eat shit and fail how many workshops you know are like that in our field it's a good question I can't you answer know that. any i can't answer that no but, but now, I hope now that's I what you're trying to create right but that's what we have done but now you answer this how many how many workshops are there that teach x's and o's or speed or agility unlimited. or weightlifting unlimited now isn't that funny we spend our days worrying about athlete asymmetries imbalances oh my god you have a weak core mm. oh you have weak hamstrings you have weak glutes asymmetries and imbalances yet we have this many workshops that work on x's and o's and this many that work on anything related to coaching and communication isn't that funny a field obsessed with adaptation that doesn't adapt a field obsessed with asymmetry but it has a huge one that it doesn't manage and then we wonder why we're in trouble i think that's you've highlighted probably I mean, it's probably why you dedicate your whole career to it. You've highlighted the biggest flaw within human, one of the biggest flaws within humans and coaches. And that's the art of communication, the art of coaching. We're coaches who don't study coaching. 
Huh. Funny, bro. <laughs> Great job. You've done an awesome job. Right. Because coaching's easy, right? We can just read a John Maxwell book sure. or a motivational book. Look somebody in the eye. Tell them you love them. They don't care what you know until you know how much you care. Uh, shake their hand. Call them by name. Great. We know that shit. Real life is a lot stickier than that. When somebody looks at you and says, I don't give a shit what you think. You don't know me. You've never played sport at the highest level. Or a coach comes down and thinks, your stuff's bullshit. They heard about something in Men's Health Magazine that's going to work, right? Like, our field isn't taken seriously because we don't study power dynamics, conflict, negotiation, human behavior. Just teach me how to snatch more, please. Have you, uh, this is, makes me think, have you read uh, any of Robert Greene's work? Of course, yeah. 48 Laws of Power is one of the, that was, I resonated with Robert Greene's work, specifically 48 Laws of Power, Same. because my experience in the hospital gave me the earliest initiation I could ever have into power dynamics. Yeah. I mean, literally being in a place where if you didn't say what they wanted you to say, do what they thought you should do, whatever, you were given pills, you were given antidepressants, you were given all these things to kind of just numb shit, not make you think. You literally had to learn how to tell them what they wanted to hear so that you could make it look like you were getting progress, making progress so you could get the hell out of there. Dude, you know how many... Well, some of the biggest blessings in my life are the amount of Machiavellian MFers I've been exposed to, you know? And so I've always appreciated that because I read that book and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I absolutely understand what he's talking about there, whether it's P.T. Barnum or the emperor in the Han dynasty getting his head cut off because he outshined the master, mm. you know, and all these other things. Like I understood that way earlier than, than most people because I was subject. It doesn't make me better. It just means I ate shit earlier in life. And I didn't want to keep eating shit. So I had to learn the games people play. Because guess what? The games are going to be played regardless. So you're either going to be ignorant to them or, or you're going to play with it. And dude, and that's what I love. I used to spend so much time trying to talk people into coming to these workshops. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't need to do that. Like, hey, listen, if you actually think you're going to go through life and not get taken advantage of, not get lied to, mm. not get fired, you know, all these things, good for you. By all means, go, go live your life. But if you want to learn how to deal with the messy shit, if you want to learn how to rehearse and refine for the biggest moments, then come to our apprenticeships. And some people are like, oh, do you have a certification? Well, our, that, that's our apprenticeship. We don't use the term certification because we feel like there's 8 million certifications out there. How has that helped, hmm. right? So we look at it as like a certification connotates, hey, you get this piece of paper and you're a pro. An apprenticeship, if you look up the historical definition, you had a seven year process to becoming a master. So we, we have our two day apprenticeships is saying, hey, this is two days. You are not gonna be a master, but you're gonna be on the right path because we're gonna teach you this shit. So yeah, I mean, people, if they don't wanna be exposed to power dynamics, ooh, that, that's scary. And, I, and I, listen, I, I can get it because again, at 21 to 25, you know, whatever, all I wanted to read is training research too, but I was still reading that other shit on the side because I lived it. There are some people it's so scary. They wake up, they coach, they read a little bit of research, they listen to a podcast, read a little bit of research, coach, get on social media, and they won't look at anything else outside of their realm. Every, their whole day is just training. They don't think of anything else, yet they have this whole world of shit that they could learn about people, and they don't do it even though they work with people. Is that one of the biggest mistakes you think coaches make? I think I... I not to be redundant, but I just told you the biggest mistakes people make. Okay. They narrow their view. They don't study coaching. They don't study communication. They don't get evaluated on it. 
They look for shit that is this deep and a mile wide. Sure. They're scared to fail. They're insecure. They just continue to look at what they know, what they're comfortable with, and what they're not intimidated by. Intimidated by. Coaches fail at not exposing themselves to the asymmetries of, we don't study coaching, but we're in coaching. That's the biggest mistake. Isolation of perspective. Got it. You made this uh, the father this father son video on YouTube the other day, and it it, it struck me and it was quite powerful. Um, and the first thing you said was care more, but care more about yourself first. And I wonder how you think the advice you gave to your son parallels the advice you would give to health professionals, coaches. Yeah. So in our online course, valued, we talk about this because it's all about coaches managing their career. And the number one thing I say is like, listen, you've got to be selfish. If you're not, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is you get on the airplane and they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before helping other people. Because if you pass out due to a change in cabin pressure, who are you helping? And so I think it's weird that we have this field that wants to win this suffering Olympics. Everybody looks, if somebody's doing well, screw that guy. If somebody's doing this, if somebody's on social media, they should be doing this. Coaches have to take care of themselves. There are not many coaches in our community that are making good money, are in good health, have great relationships with their family, and are bomb-ass coaches. We usually see people that are great coaches but burning out some other area of their life, either financially, family, or something else. Or we, we see all these discrepancies. Now, you're never going to be balanced. But if you don't have your shit right at home and you don't have you know yourself financially secure or as much as you can be or whatever, what are you going to give to other people? Because eventually you're going to be I – mean, the first book I was ever given in this field <laughs> was a book called First In, Last Out. And it was all about literally being just working, 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 working. You know, it was a it was a good book because it was lessons from the New York Fire Department. But a lot of strength coaches took it in as, all right, if I start work at 5 a.m., I need to show up at 3.30 a.m. because I'm dedicated. So I'm going to show up at 3.30 a.m. and I'm going to squat and I'm going to be ready to go by the first group. And then I'm going to stay till 6 p.m. because I'm the most dedicated. And then they go home. And that's cool for a certain period of their life because they don't have shit to worry about, right? They don't have bills to pay, really. They're just making dinner in a crock pot, not many responsibilities. But yet you're training young men and women to become balanced, respectable members of society, not just not just fitter, stronger people, right? You know, you're getting on people telling them to go to class, do this, treat people well, yet your significant other's home alone at 8.30 at night because you're fucking with your Excel spreadsheets for the 40th time because you read some blog about a new formula on agile periodization. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? And and that just dawned on me because I've been to extremes, man. I'm not throwing stones at people. I'm throwing stones at a past version of myself sure. that was obsessed. I mean, part of me now is still obsessed. I haven't slayed that demon. But I, I, this is 8 o'clock on a Thursday night when I've done 20 Zoom calls this week. We have a mastermind group that we run that's gone until 9.30 every night. I'm still coaching athletes. You know what I mean? And then I'll get off this call and I'll have 20 texts I need to answer. But the difference is, is now I've learned to just tell people, hey, I love you, but I'm not getting back to you right now. I'm with family. Or like I'm literally doing one more person's podcast on Saturday and then I'm done with podcasts and Zoom calls for other people for the year. Really? Not because I'm, yes, 100%. Not because I'm too good. Not because like they're not worthy, whatever. But because, dude, I have a podcast of my own. Yeah. We do stuff of our own. We have, of course, the world doesn't need me fucking everywhere. But you know and what? I don't want to. 
uh, every man and woman needs boundaries, right? You need lines in the sand. I suck at that. I suck at that because right now there's people, what do we got? We have people watching on Instagram live yeah. and I have people that will literally hit me up in my DMs and be like, Hey bro, haven't heard from you. I sent you this. Yeah. I thought you were all about communication. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, listen, dude, I appreciate the hell out of you, but I get like 30, 40, 50 messages a day here, emails, tweets, LinkedIn, this, I can't get to everything. It doesn't mean you're not important. It means that I have a five month old baby. Mm. I have a wife. I'm actually coaching. And if you want me to put bigger, good shit into the world, like a book, like podcast up, like courses, then I can't always get to my DMs. So I always have guilt. I dude, I had somebody call me the other day, a friend, excuse me for a moment. <coughs> I had a friend the other day that literally like ripped me because he was like, you haven't gotten back to my text. I go, John, I didn't see it, dude. I, you know, right. I go to bed every night with unanswered texts. And that's not because again, I'm not too good. It's because I burnt myself out at 29. I answered every text, every email, every this. And then you know what I learned? I could answer 35 DMs for one person, or I could put out a podcast episode that reaches 50,000 people, right? And I learned that because all the questions in the DMs are the same. How do I get buy-in? What's the best exercise for? How, what book should I read? How can I get started in the field, right? It's the same stuff over and over and over. So I realized that me answering one person a million different times in a million different ways wasn't working. Yeah. So I wrote a book on how to get buy-in. So I made an online course about how to get buy-in. So I have a YouTube page. So I have a podcast, but here's the thing. What's crazy is other people don't respect boundaries because they'll say, Hey coach, can you tell me how to get buy-in? Which is like the broadest question ever. And then I'll be like, Hey, love your question. Just so I know where we're at. You know, just like you want to check somebody's medical history before you write them a training program. I go, have you read my book or taken my online course? And they're like, oh no, I was just kind of hoping you could tell me. And here's the reality. What I learned is it's not selfish of me not to not answer those. It's selfish of people like that not to do their homework first. When I, when I was just starting out, I would never reach out to somebody and expect them to tell me what they wrote about in a book a blog article or all these other free resources they put out without doing some due diligence. And I remember that because I always respected Dan John. Dan John was always somebody I looked up to coming up. And I remember I wrote him an email once and I had read his book first. And I said, Hey coach, John, know your types, know your time is, uh, is short. Just so you know, I have read your book, never let go. I've also bought your DVD set. I have a specific question about one thing that you said in this area. Now think about that, dude. Not only have I shown respect to coach John, but I've also shown that I'm a competent, caring professional because I've done my homework and I'm going to get a better answer for him. If somebody says, Hey coach, how do I get buy-in? That is so broad. You're going to get nothing but a broad answer from me. If I do answer your DM, where if you say, Hey coach, I have a 13 year old athlete who has a strong willed parent that shames them as if everything they're not good at doing is good enough. Therefore, this athlete has learned to hate training. How can I build buy-in and bring her back into the fold? Baby, now we have something. Now I can give you a great answer. So I just feel like, you know, 
I had to learn to set boundaries and I still suck at it. And if anybody's watching, if I don't get back to you, listen, I never take you for granted. I just have to be a good dad and a, and a husband too. And if I get distracted by all this other shit, I can't make stuff that lasts 30, 50 years and helps you at a higher level. A DM isn't going to, like, I just, it's never going to be as good as a book or a course. It's never going to be as in depth. So I just want to say that for anybody listening or watching. No, that's really important because it's, it's a scalable way to address it. Um, but on an individual level, I think a lot of people probably relate to that. How do you communicate to that close friend, that family member who's resentful, mad, angry, emotional at, at you? for not getting back to them because there's a lot of people relate to how do you communicate that effectively i mean i just try to remind them that i'm human i listen my company art of coaching is four people and up until two months ago it was me and an executive assistant so it's me it's my wife who's our project manager and a new mother it's an executive assistant named jordan who helps manage my time because emails are like i hate email email to me is like kryptonite just because, again, it's a distraction. Like I'm trying to, I, I have a lot of uh, trouble focusing because I'm balancing so many things. Yeah. I'll go from coaching to podcasts to this. <laughs> and then I have a new guy named Corey Van White. Everybody lives in different parts of the world, right? And so I just try to remind them, like, I, I do not have 30 million interns. I do not have a bunch of people helping me. I am not some millionaire who has unlimited resources. I am a strength coach who's 34 years old who continues to work my ass off, who my entire company, everything I do is self-funded. Every online course I've created cost me $25,000. I'm not the rock, but I used my last amount of money in my bank account to self-publish my book. By the grace of God, that took off, but that was self-published. And then we put $25,000 on a credit card, a credit card in hopes that this thing would take off because we wanted to roll the dice and we felt like we had something good. My dad's a financial advisor. He backslapped the hell out of me for doing that. Thankfully it paid off, but you know why I did that? To make sure I couldn't turn back and do something half-ass. That, that's what they call burning the boats. Mm. You put yourself into a risk like that, and I'm not advising everybody else to do that, but I wanted to do that. Dude, you can't half-ass it. There's too many people in our field half-assing it. I've been on podcasts where I left EXO six years ago. I've been on podcasts in the last eight months where people are like, hey man, oh, I've got Brett Bartholomew here, strength coach at EXOS. And I'm like, dude, I'm not an egomaniac, but I haven't worked there for over half a decade almost. Did you do any homework? Right? We have too many people in this world that are hobbyists and don't think. So I just let people know, like I'm imperfect. Not everything I do is going to win. I mean, I, I wrote a book. People want it on Audible. Then it's on Audible. Well, now you're not voicing it. You know why I don't voice it? Because it would have cost me almost $10,000 to meet Audible standards. You have to record it in a soundproof room. You have to do all these things. You have to hire an editor. Like why people like Ryan Holiday and Stephen Pressfield can do that is because their publishers organize that for them, right? So then I put it on Audible. Oh, it's not on Kindle. Then I put it on Kindle. Oh, you need a podcast. Then I do that. Oh, you need a YouTube. People are never satisfied. And so I've just learned that you've got to put up barriers because otherwise it just never stops. Dude. It never stops. How do you, okay, that's great. Right, that's how, right. do you manage, how do you manage those inputs? Because it becomes so overwhelming. How do you keep this mind peaceful and calm? 
Uh, right now, I'm not. Right now, my mind's going in fucking Herculean mode, trying to do everything I can. Anybody that tells you they got a system and balance is so full of shit. You know, they are. I mean, that's good for, like, again, the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world that have a huge team. And maybe one day I'll have that. Maybe I'll one day have somebody that's a cinematographer and, you know, I have a social media person and a copywriter and this person and that person. But right now, I don't. I got a grassroots team of people that bust their ass and are doing their best. And every day I'm coaching and doing all these things. So the best thing I can do, I mean, on my Instagram the other day, I talked about it. I try to get nature, uh, sensory deprivation yes. tanks have been huge. Yeah. Holy shit. Holy shit. Do you have one? Been, uh, no, but I am saving up this la- This next one's going to make you laugh. And I could give a shit what anybody says about research, what have you. You know, one thing that I love that just chills me the hell out, a hot tub. So like I am literally saving up to put a hot tub outside. We live by this forest with all these trees and I just want to sit in that shit and zone out. No, I don't have a sensory deprivation tech. Again, I'm not rich, dude. You know what I mean? But we go out, I pay $99 a month because it's worth every penny. And I would sell things in my house to keep this. And they give me unlimited floats. So I make sure I schedule it a week in advance. I have to do three floats a week. Phone gets turned off, pitch black, earplugs in. And I do that. And then I hit the shit out of a heavy bag because I used to box competitively. Where, do you, where does the mind, where does your mind go? Where does Brett Bartholomew's crazy chaotic mind go? Out in, in the, dark places. Yeah. Somewhere between a mix of Friday the 13th, <laughs> family guy, research journals. Hey, is that a squirrel? Yeah. A machete. And then, uh, you know, uh, stand up comedy by George Carlin. Yeah. I think all those things kind of coalesce. And they create whatever the hell I am. Do you, this is, now we're just going far off, but do you hallucinate in, in the sensory deprivation tank? Do you ever have like visualizations? Oh, no. I have a, to be honest, I have a hard time getting into that deep meditative state. Like yeah. I'm typically thinking too much, which means I suck at meditation. Um, I have fallen asleep, woken up naked and wondered where I was for three minutes. Yeah. Uh, I want to backtrack um, a couple of minutes. You, you pointed out a moment that you know that moment where you put down the credit card 25k those moments you have in your life where you're scared you're like this is this is the burning the boat moment right and it's the moment that most people don't take it's the moment that most people say ah no i'm not gonna do it they they don't execute why do you why do i what why do i not why do you why do you execute in those moments because a lot of people they don't the because I'm competitive as hell with myself, and when you almost die at 15 years old, you realize that shit, like life is not long, right? So we all hear about that, oh, think about when you're 90, like what regrets do you not want to have or whatever. Dude, I had that moment at 15 thinking, what the hell am I doing in this hospital? I need to go do some shit with my life. I also remember seeing the movie The Hurricane at 14 years old with Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody hasn't seen it, go watch The Hurricane. It's my number one favorite movie of all time, Denzel Washington. And I saw that and I, dude, <laughs> I just looked at, again, it made me, I was a pretty intense kid. We had a lot of family members die relatively early. I mean, all my grandparents were dead by 15. My dad's dad died when my dad was 11. My parents grew up poor. You know, we had a, we had a strong sense of urgency in our family and we still do. Like, you know, and so I'm very self-competitive. Okay. I could give a shit tomorrow if somebody starts the art of coaching coaches or if somebody takes, you know, 
dude, I've already had my stuff from my book stolen. People have tried downloading my courses, putting it on their website. At the end of the day, I'll outlast them because I care too much. I could give a shit about what they do. And I wish other people would take this attitude too. quit caring what other people do so much. Do your shit. Get competitive with yourself. Now, I can take that to dark places. I rip myself apart. I'm not impressed with my own work. That's awesome that my book has sold over 100,000 copies and been translated in five languages. Like I then, instead of thinking about how awesome that is, I wonder if I have another great book in me, right? And like, so it's not always a healthy thing, Hmm. but I have this dark passenger to use a Dexter reference or Carl Jung's shadow. Mm. And I love that dude. Yeah. And I also battle with him daily. Yeah. But I think that's the key. I think the key to most people is they've got to embrace a lot more dark in their life. Yeah. I hate this world of sterile, wishy-washy, politically correct leadership. Everybody's got to be perfect and have a morning routine. Fuck your morning routine. You're better with a little bit. Be a little bit more Heath Ledger Joker. And a lot less OCD control freak. And there's some good things that will come out of that. And if you can find somewhere in the middle, yeah, there, there is a lot of things that come out of that. But you, I think your area you want. Yes. But you you had a particularly unique experience being in hospital, families, uh, family members dying early. A lot of people go through that in their own way. But a lot of people, and I say this with all due respect, aren't fortunate enough to go through involuntary suffering and pain. Their life is very comfortable. And so how do you think people can introduce voluntary pain and suffering to build those, find those shadows and and come to terms with them? What a phenomenal question. And I'm sorry, but you're not going to like my answer. That's why we made our apprenticeship workshops. We introduced the chaos forum. I mean, dude, think about that. Take a coach right now that thinks they're really good or even that one that thinks they're shit and tell them to come for two days and stand up in front of peers in a wide variety of fields where they're going to be putting role-playing like scenarios videotaped and evaluated, you know, and, and what's awesome about it is day one, you know, people have their guards up a little bit, you know, whatever. By the end of day one, they're exhausted because they're like, holy shit. But then by the end of day two, they're pumped up because everybody stripped that away because we literally make it impossible for you to be perfect in the workshop. All that matters is you're better day two than you were day one. And that's what you've got to do. Research proves that improvisation is, I mean, first of all, that's life. I have a whole podcast on this. We're not talking improv comedy. Mm. Life is improv. You don't know every interaction you were going to have today. Did you go into this knowing everything I was going to say? Hell no. Not a clue. Do you know who's going to cut you off in traffic tomorrow or the next day or whatever? Life is improv. (laughs) Yet we seek control and predictability. And, and everybody's like, oh, that's what Nassim Taleb talks about with anti-fragile. Yeah. Sure. So, no, you don't have to go through a near-death experience. And I love that you asked that question. It shows your maturity on so many ways. You don't have to have a hard childhood. You don't, uh, you don't have to have any of that. But you just have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You have to taste your own blood metaphorically. We've done it for you. Come to our workshop. We're happy for you to fail because that means you've made progress. What do you th- – and, you know, I think given what you've just said – for me, for example, do everything possible to come in person and do that. But for the we do them all over the world. We'll come, I mean, all you got, it's very easy. We go anywhere. We, all we have to do is find 10 people, okay. 10 people, minimum signups, and we go. You don't have to pay any exorbitant fee for me to come speak. You're not paying for first class airfare. 
anything. If it's international, hook me up with a hotel, get 10 people to sign up and we're going. Done. It's just like Mike Boy, it's just like Mike Boyle's thing. Like it's very easy. We try to meet the market in the middle. It's approved for CEUs. And more importantly, there's nothing else like it. And we have a hell of a lot of fun being imperfect. Isn't it time that our field puts away their mask? Isn't it time that our field quits acting like tough guys who have to have the answer for everything? Like, isn't it time for our field to not have to worry about like, you know, the 23 year old coach who knows they suck in front of people to not feel like they have a place to go or the coach who's been in it for 40 years. That's tired of doing the same shit all the time and wants a fresh perspective. Right. And like, it's just a good, it's healthy, dude. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to, we have got to engage. Cause I'll give you an example. <laughs> we put somebody up in a situation where, uh, they worked at a university and they were trying to uh, get an increase in budget for their weight room. <laughs> and they were having trouble doing that. So we took three other participants and we give them archetypical kind of personality categories, right? One guy is the head honcho. He's 50 years old, kind of stubborn, really parsimonious, doesn't want to give up money, is very big in data, stats, analytics, and finance. You've got to convince that person. Also at the table is somebody in the finance department that's a millennial. They're very big in charts and graphs. They want to be convinced via visual examples. And then there's somebody else in the department that just doesn't like you. Now you got three minutes to convince all of them why you need this. And you have to ask at least five questions, go. And people are like, oh shit. You know, and then they'll say, well, I I don't have to do this in real life. And I'm like, yeah. And athletes don't have to go out uh, and uh, lift 220 kilos on their back in sport. That's the point. We overload you. We apply overload in communication-based scenarios and gotcha. And that's the fun of it. We don't want you to be perfect. We want you to learn shit. How can, okay, fucking, that's perfect. How can people overload day-to-day, week-to-week, like habit-wise? How do you do it? Yeah, we give them tools to do that. We're like, hey, here's what you can go do. Right. But if you're just talking base level, right, whatever, one thing they can do right now, mm. one thing that's absolutely free, mm-hmm. people can go to getfieldguide.com. Field guide, guide like a mentor, right? Field like the thing you run on. Get like you're going to get something. Getfieldguide.com. And we have a simple field guide I created three years ago that's got some scenarios they can do right now. Right now, they can do these things. It lists it out staff development, done. Do it from home. Done. You can do any of that shit for free right now. Getfieldguide.com. You know those people you described? Those people you described to like, okay, go. Now you have to adapt to all these different scenarios in a, in a second, right? Yeah. What characteristics of those people of do those what characteristics do those people have that makes them so adaptable, you think? Yeah, what I mean openness think? to experience. If you look at the big five, right? Openness yeah. to experience, neuroticism, yeah. extroversion. I don't think it's an extroversion thing at all. I think openness to experience. You have to be willing to put yourself in those situations. You have to want a little bit of adventure. You want to be able like, and that's any master. Any master craves a challenge. And so that's another thing I don't get about this field is why are all these coaches who think they're tough shit and they think they're already good scared to come do this? Because they don't want to, they don't want the mask to slip. They don't want a chink in the armor. Dude, I teach this. I'm getting my doctorate in it. And I will fail at some of the exercises I do. Some workshops, I smash it. Other workshops, I fail. But that's the fun. If there's one thing that we should work on our entire life is communication. Name one profession, right, where you actually will get worse if you're a better communicator. 
what do you, you know what I mean? Like you being a better communicator typically help. I literally had one smart ass try to be like, Oh, well, Hitler was a good communicator and look what he did. I go, you're, you know that you are grasping for straws when you use the Hitler example, when you use the Hitler example and say that he did what he did because he was a good communicator. Not only are you not thinking, but that's stupid and you're desperate. Well, hold on. It just sh- it also just shows the power of communication if you understand the laws of human nature, the principles of human nature. Like, yeah. it just kind of proves the point you're making anyway about how you have to understand both sides, the shadows and the... the right. Side. Similarly, I could say, well, exercise causes some people to have heart attacks and get injured, so you shouldn't exercise what kind of harebrained example would that be, right? right? Everything in life has an accompanying virtue and vice. I talk about this in conscious coaching, right? right? Fire and physics, neither good or bad. Fire keeps people warm. It burns other people's houses down if there's an arson. Physics does a lot of great things for us. Unfortunately, you still die if you jump off the Empire State Building. You know, So people have to quit getting caught up on tools and they got to start focusing on how they wield them. Well said. I want to look. We could keep. To, I think I could. We could keep this conversation going. Well, great questions, dude. I appreciate it. I'm just a curious motherfucker. So, um. Yeah, well, that's good. You put yourself out there. Openness to experience. Well, I can tell you, there's a list of questions here, and like a part of me, yeah, I'll ask some of these. But part of me's like, I have to satisfy the natural, organic nature of conversation. I'll do one more. I'll do one more, and then send them over. And then what I'll do yeah. is I'll answer those on a Q and A podcast on the Art of Coaching podcast, wow. and I'll send it to you. And so we'll still get a feed both wolves. Uh, that'd be amazing. Um, I think one of the last, one of the last points, the more practical points I wanted to finish on is, you know, you've developed kind of a really thorough understanding in body language, human communication. We it, we interact with it every single day. How can you? Let me, let me pause for a second. How can you look for organic opportunities to continue to practice it? Because I did that today when I went to Costco. I had the COVID mask on. Go. Yeah, sure. Now all I can do is pretty much communicate with my eyes. I had this woman across the counter that was giving me all kinds of shit. And normally, right, you can turn up your face and you can do a lot of things to convey like, really? Yeah. And I'm realizing, holy shit, like, now everybody has to express things through their eyes. And we know eyes are the windows to the soul and all that. But I'm like, there are so many examples in life that are organic opportunities for people to practice communication. I do it with my athletes. I play a game called last letter first, where I have to start my next sentence with a word that begins with the letter, the word they ended their last sentence with. So if I'm like, Henry, how do you feel today? And he goes, sore. What's the last letter? A. So I go everywhere, anywhere in particular, shoulder. Really? Why are you sore there? Right? Like, and what I do is I focus on listening, giving a shit because hmm. most people ask questions and they're not really listening. Mm. They're not really listening. There are, there are many different types of listening. It's not just active and passive. No, there's discriminative listening. Holy shit. Was that a dog barking? What was that? Was that lightning? Right? That's what was going on in the environment. There's comprehensive listening. That's when somebody's giving a, a persuasive speech and you're keying in on trying to figure out their detailed points. That seems like, like your life. That seems like every word you say. Oh, dude. <laughs> Everybody always wants to play okie dickhead with me too. There's always somebody at a conference that wants to try to prove me wrong. Right. Yeah, but one bit of research says this. I'm like, oh my God, dude, great. You had your moment. 
Um, then there's empathetic listening, right? That's like if my wife had a bad day, I'm just going to go listen, not going to try to solve her problem, right? There's, there's just basically enjoyment listening. Let's turn on some music, um, you know, what have There's seven different kinds of listening that we talk about at our apprenticeship. And then we're like, you think you got it? And the whole audience is like, yeah, okay. And then we're like, cool, here's the scene. You're doing this, you're doing that. People have to identify what kind of listening this is. By the way, we're turning the lights off, so you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, see the stimulus. And we have to hear three tone of voice changes within the next 30 seconds. Enjoy. And people are like, ah. It's not like a strength and conditioning clinic where it's like, all right, I'm going to teach an agility uh, practical. I need five volunteers. What does everybody do? Everybody just sits by the wall. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my iPad. I'm going to get my iPad so I can act like I'm learning and I'm going to record it. Right. And inevitably, the volunteers you do get, you get one or two coaches that really want to learn. You get that weird guy or girl that's barefoot everywhere they go. And you're like, oh, no, this agility, please don't be barefoot. And then you get somebody that's probably going to pull their groin just because they're over anxious. Um, but like everybody else just sits by the wall and they're like, uh, uh, I'm learning. You know, it's like, no, you're not. Get your ass involved. You got to put people in that fire, make them uncomfortable. And that's what you do yeah, best. Cool. Yeah, right. But these are environments where people have been told you shouldn't fail. We have coaches that will not do practicals. They're only going to give lectures because, like, they don't want to be exposed. But hold on, say, that's life. Like, because now we're nerfing the in Rogan says we're nerfing the edges of our society, soft, cushy foam edges. So when we fall, ah, we don't scrape our knee. And I think that transcends everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I was looking at our Instagram comments. Uh, what are they one saying? of the guys, oh, Greg Adamson, he's hilarious. He's like, he knows, he knows what I'm talking about with the barefoot guy. There's always a barefoot person that's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We got some people, Ashley Borden. What up everybody? What up? Appreciate it. They're loving it. I mean, it's just real though, man. Like, because our field wants permission. That's where we'll grow the most. We'll grow the most when we say, fuck this. I'm going to go somewhere get completely exposed. The goal is for me to actually face my weaknesses, face that dark side. But you know what? I'm doing it with a bunch of other coaches that are all about this shit and they get super into it. You know what I mean? And, and that's the truth. Like they get into it and nobody's trying to prove they're smarter. Everybody goes into it with a realistic expectation that if there's one thing we should all die, like having been better at it's being better communicators. Cause you know what? That transcends everything. Just like we talk about transfer of training, right? Uh, we were doing plyometrics today, real plyometrics, like dip jumps, what have you. And we know that those can help bridge the gap from the rack to the track, right? They can help the strength work and help, you know, the speed or anything else that we're trying to build because our rate of force production, muscular tenderness factors, neural factors, all that. Well, communication transfers in so many areas. You're going to be less of a dickhead, always a plus. You're going to be a better husband, spouse. You're going to be a better coach. You might be a better business person. You might help somebody out, you know, in another way. You're going to, you're going to be better at so many things. Mm. But people, I don't want to do it. Yeah, because this shit's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You'll be a better human. I'm going to lose my voice and I'm sweating profusely because we close the vent in here. So it's I love good, you, brother. but we got to No, we're done. That's it. That Yo, Instagram, folks, I love you too. Dude, this guy has asked some amazing question. Orphic education. Alex Emanuel, literally in the last five podcasts I've been on, never had somebody ask this many thoughtful questions ask thoughtful questions it makes a difference in your life i love you guys all the best and alex thank you dude your sincerity means a lot thank you so much i look forward to meeting you in person one day brett we'll, we'll, 
hopefully host uh, some of your workshops and um, apprenticeships in the future when you come down here. It'd be a pleasure. Would love it. Would love it, man. I'd be happy to be your guest. It'd be my honor. Done. Thank you, Brett. Be good. Appreciate you so much. Peace. Done. Hey, can you send me this recording? No problem. Consider it done. Cool. You, I, and I mean it, man. Great questions. Great, great questions. You have a, you have a bright future ahead of you because you give a fuck. Thank you, man. And don't, don't lose that. And I'll tell you what, man, if you come to one of these apprenticeships, you like it, we are looking at doing a facilitator course and we want coaches all around the world teaching this stuff that are interested in it. Um, I'm looking for people that are hungry in this shit, love it, obsess about it. We're too early in the relationship right now, but just know, you know, what I saw tonight impressed me and, and we'd love to, that opportunity may exist. If you come to one, you love it and, and what have you, we'll, we'll talk about it from there. That means so much. Look forward to speaking about it, Brett. All right, buddy. Be good. You too, man. Bye. Brett Bartholomew, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Hope you guys enjoyed that amazing conversation. Um, I think there's oh, fuck, there's so many takeaways there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think I'm going to re really listen to that one. Um, I think to, to finish off, um, check out... I'm going to download this and check this out. This is Brett Bartholomew. This is, this is the resource he mentioned artofcoaching.com, the, the field guide, the, free as well. So notice, success leaves clues. What are athletes authority doing? What are all these amazing gems and, and personalities and influencers and coaches doing? They want you to be the, they want them to be from forefront of mind when you think coaching, when you think communication, when you think upgrading your skill set. I think there's a lot to learn there, and that's what we're trying to do in the education space and why we're trying to make the most comprehensive Certificate 3 and 4 in fitness. Thank you guys for watching. We'll be back next Wednesday with another webinar, podcast. Appreciate all the support. I'll see you guys soon.